Today on the Legalese, we are going to be discussing two cases that were just announced coming out of the Supreme Court today that they are going to be hearing as part of their upcoming term. And you are going to want to stick around and hear about these because we have two potential landmarks in the making. Hey, greetings, everybody, and welcome back once again to Legalese. As always, I am your host, Bob, and I want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Now, if you happen to be new to my channel, let me bid a special welcome to you. This is the podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, politics, and culture. Now, real quick, I just want to let you know, if you dig what we do here, you can go check out my show's homepage over at LegalesePodcast.com. Over there, you can find... Uh, videos, uh, podcast episodes, articles I write. You can buy my book. Uh, you can uh, get in contact with me. All kinds of cool stuff. Stay up to date with the show. All kinds of cool stuff you can do over there. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm doing, I would suggest going and signing up for my Substack newsletter at LegallyShow.com. And when you sign up there, uh, you just get uh, curated content sent right to you anytime I upload a video uh, podcast episode or article no matter what platform is on you get uh, an email a notification sent right to you letting you know about it so that's how you can follow us no matter where i'm posting content all right so today we have some really big news fresh out of the supreme court uh just a few hours ago actually now today the court met in private conference, and they would decide ultimately to grant cert on four more marriage cases for this upcoming term. Now, two of these cases were just so juicy, I had to add them to my Supreme Court roundup. So today, I am going to be filling you in on these two potential landmark cases that are bringing serious challenges against two topics that are very familiar uh, on this show, which is Chevron deference and qualified immunity. So today, we are going to be covering uh, these two cases. The first one we're going to be talking about is uh, another Chevron deference case that is uh, just like the case we've already talked about, Loper Bright Enterprises v. Raimondo, a case that will ask the court to directly overturn Chevron deference. Now, the second case in question is a major challenge to when and how qualified immunity cases may be brought. And I'm going to cover each of these cases for you and with you right now. All right, up first, we are going to be talking about Relentless Incorporated versus the Department of Commerce. Now, this case is essentially the Supreme Court adding a second case to its roster, asking it to overrule the landmark 1984 decision set in Chevron v. National Resource Defense Council. Now, the announcement today came with a list of orders that were released just a little bit ago uh, from a private conference, and what we found out is that the court, the court is going to hear oral arguments in both 
Relentless v. Department of Commerce, and the case we know, Loperbright Enterprises v. Raimondo, which it agreed to review back in May and will be hearing sometime in January. Now, the relentless case not only centers on the same question as Loperbright, which is whether the court should overturn the Chevron doctrine, which, as I'm sure we all know, instructs the courts that they should defer to a federal agency's interpretation of a statute as long as that statute is reasonable, but also arises from essentially the same set of facts. This is a challenge to a federal rule requiring fishing boats to pay for federal monitors. However, the big difference here is unlike Loper Bright, in this case, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson will not be recused from the relentless case, which would allow the full court to consider the Chevron question. Now, interestingly, the court would normally have simply put a case such as this one on hold until after it had already ruled in Loper Bright. Now, the fact that the court instead took this uh, unusual step of fast-tracking this second case uh, for consideration suggests that they might have some other plans for this case. And at the same time, it's interesting to note that the Loper-Bright case was uh, conspicuously absent from the December argument calendar that was released on Thursday, even though that case will be fully briefed by the time the argument session begins. So we have a two-part question presented in the uh, Relentless Inc. case, and the court is looking at, one, whether the court should overrule Chevron versus National Resource Defense Council, or at least clarify the statutory silence concerning controversial powers expressly but narrowly granted elsewhere in the statute does not constitute an ambiguity requiring deference to the agency. And the second question is whether the phrase necessary and appropriate in the Magnuson-Stevens Act augments agency power to force domestic shipping vessels to contract with and pay the salaries of federal observers that they must carry. Now, the second case we're going to be talking about is Gonzalez v. Trevino. Now, the background on this case begins with a 2019 case known as Neves v. Bartlett. In this case, the Supreme Court held that when a plaintiff contends that he was arrested in retaliation for speech protected by the First Amendment, he must show that police did not have probable cause to arrest him. But the court carved out an exception to that rule for cases in which the plaintiff can show that he was arrested, but others who had not been engaged in the same kind of protected speech had not been. And so in Gonzalez v. Trevino, the justices have agreed to decide what kinds of evidence will meet the Neves exception outlined in 2019. This question comes to the court in a particular case of a woman named Sylvia Gonzalez who was elected to the city council in her hometown of Castle Hill, Texas. 
Now, after promising to dislodge the supposedly corrupt city manager through a petition, uh, she won her election, and shortly after she was elected, Gonzalez was charged with violating a Texas law that bars destroying or campering with government documents when the petition which she had presented to the city's mayor was discovered in a binder that she had brought to a city council meeting. Now, Gonzalez has contested the charge, arguing that although the police may have had probable cause to arrest her, the charge had been brought in retaliation for her decision to exercise her First Amendment right to freedom of speech and petition. But although she presented evidence that other indictments for violations of Texas law under which she was charged involved that uh, involved forging government IDs or tampering with financial records, uh, according to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, that this was not enough to qualify for the Neves exception. Instead, the Court of Appeals had ruled that Gonzalez would not have to provide examples of people who, quote, mishandled a government petition but were not prosecuted under Texas law, end quote. So there are two main issues being addressed here in this case. The first one begins again with Neves v. Bartlett. Now here, the court held that probable cause does not bar a retaliatory arrest claim against a police officer when a plaintiff shows that the arrest was made when otherwise similarly situated individuals not engaged in the same sort of protected speech had not been. Now, a big reason this court is agreeing to hear this case has to do with a circuit split because the circuits here admittedly disagree on whether only specific examples of non-arrest or any objective proof of retaliatory treatment can satisfy this standard. So here, in the Gonzalez case, we have a 72-year-old councilwoman who organized a petition criticizing a city manager and unwittingly placing it in her binder during a council meeting. Two months later, the respondents uh, and the city manager's allies would engineer her arrest for tampering with government records. Now, the thing is that this particular charge has no precedent involving similar conduct, at least not as was supported by an affidavit based on the councilwoman's viewpoints and skirted ordinary procedures to ensure she was jailed. It is because of this that the councilwoman has sued respondents, but not the arresting officer. And so with all that in mind, the two questions presented that the court will be hearing in this case are one, whether the Neves probable cause exception can be satisfied by objective evidence other than specific examples of arrests that never happened, and two, whether the Neves probable cause rule is limited to individual claims against arresting officers for split-second arrests. Well, that is all I have for you guys here today. I just wanted to get this material out to you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget to do all those things for me, please, that help you trigger Al Gore's rhythm. If you liked the video, hit the like button. If you disliked it, hit the dislike button. Subscribe to the channel. 
leave a comment, all the other usual stuff. And if you would do that, I would be very grateful. And until next time, this has been Bob for Legalese, talking about the Supreme Court, and of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est.